0: This is House of Rugby, presented by Rugby Joe. Hello, it's Hugh Wasencroft here and welcome to House of Rugby alongside, as usual, Rachel Burford uh, and Alex Goob, But delighted to say we're joined by the Scotland and Gloucester fly half, uh, Adam Hastings. Adam, how are you?
1: Yeah, good. Thanks. I'm just doing my rehab at the moment, so I was back on the pitch there. So ticking along nicely.
0: Thank you very much. Oh, lovely, lovely. So we can expect to see you back out there again sometime soon.
1: Yeah, fingers crossed. Next couple of weeks, I'll I'll, get, I'll be back out there. So yeah.
0: Must have been tough missing out on those few games for Scotland. I mean, the Autumn Nations Series, always a special one. And then now thinking about that form and getting back out there in time for the Six Nations.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I spoke to Albert too soon before we played Fiji and said look after me, but he obviously didn't pass the message on because <laughs> um, one of his mates lit me up in the next week. So, um, but yeah, no, hopefully I uh, get back playing soon, and then uh, yeah, I'll be uh, excited to hopefully join up with with the Gloss Boys I get a, a good win at the weekend against Saints.
0: We'll be talking a little bit more about club and country when it comes to you a little bit later, but we've got to start. With massive news concerning Wales, Warren Gatlin sensationally reappointed, replacing Wayne Pivak. Um, There's speculation over Eddie Jones' future as England boss. That's in the balance. We'll discuss that. Who's in the frame to replace him as well? We'll talk about the European competitions this weekend. The top teams competing for the silverware there as well. And as always, our resident agony uh, uncle, Alex, will be answering your questions. We'll have a community feature, pass it on as usual as well. But let's start with that. I mentioned Warren Gatlin replacing Wayne Pivak after three years. Ah. It's a really tough one. Wales had, I think, a, you know, one of those autumns that they want to forget. Obviously, with the World Cup coming, it was massive for them to move on. They might not be the only nation doing so, but uh, Alex, what have you made of this decision today?
2: Well, first and foremost, it's never nice to see a, a coach get sacked. Um, I was optimistic for Pivak after what he did with the Scarlets. So they played a great brand of rugby and obviously he wanted to take that to Wales and it just didn't seemed to, to work really. Um, and I guess with what was going on with Eddie and everything else, uh, Wales wanted to move quick and and they have. So it, it it's quite interesting because, you know, before people sort of had enough of Gatlin maybe in Wales, there was a lot of murmurings they had enough of um, sort of Warren Ball and the way he played so like that, but he was highly successful. So he's come back. He hasn't got much time. Uh, I think they've got Ireland up first in the six nations at home so it's a it's a big mountain for him but you know he's got pedigree there and he's a great coach Rach,
0: they, they they say never go back. Basically, <laughs> it can never be as good as you had it before. Um, 2007 to 2019, four Six Nations, three Grand Slam titles, two World Cup semi-finals in 2011 and 2019. Gatland uh, will be leaving the Chiefs in New Zealand, take charge for the Six Nations, of course, and the World Cup could go through to the next World Cup cycle uh, as well, including Australia 2027. But you know, it's one of those. I look at this and I think they will all be hoping he can replicate that success. And given what we've seen from Wales of late, it's highly, highly unlikely, given all the arguments that have happened over the future of Welsh rugby, what happens in terms of the contracts that's on the table at the moment, but also the clubs and how they can improve. I think Warren Gatlin has made a huge, huge decision here. Um, And I'm not sure it's it's the right one necessarily for him. It might be for, for Welsh rugby. How do you view it?
3: Yeah, I think I was a little bit surprised to see him go back because, as you mentioned, it is such a challenge. Given the record that he had and and the trialed and tested formula that he had, like that chemistry isn't always there when you go back, and it's a really hard thing to to bring back in place. However, when you've got to act quickly, you're going to look for somebody who's done that job, who's got good um, respect within the team within Wales as well. So you need somebody to be able to act quickly and impose themselves very quickly on the squad to try and turn things around because. There isn't much time, two months until the the Six Nations. So, you know, for somebody who's been there, trial tested, got a great record, got good formulas that have worked in the past, you know, if he can replicate some elements of all of those things, then it will push Wales in the right direction. And I think the sheer fact that they're under pressure, they need to find a replacement and they're going to have to look for somebody who who's already been there and done that.
2: And I think with that, it's, it'd be interesting to see who he brings in yeah. as assistant coaches. You know, he had Sean Edwards for pretty much the whole time he was there with Wales before. <clears throat> uh, Howley was there for large parts as well. So we had a pretty settled group off the field. Um, so from all accounts, he doesn't do a lot of coaching himself, Gatlin. So
0: it'd be really interesting to see who he brings in quickly and who he can get available. It's a big decision that they've made, Adam. You'll obviously, of course, be going up against them in the Six Nations. It's, it's never easy, and I'm sure you've been through it, when you, as a player, have to adapt in a short space of time to a new coach when you've got something big on the horizon, might be a final a competition that you're expected to do, to do well in. Do you think that group of Wales players can adapt in the short term to maybe produce something that we, weren't, we aren't expecting at this point when we get to the Six Nations?
1: Um yeah I think it's difficult because uh it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how much he kind of changes in their game especially in attack um if he kind of moves a lot of parts about and basically strips it back down again or he might simplify things for them um for the for the six nations and then maybe build on that towards the world cup so um yeah look Wales I've got a lot of quality players and um you know they're a dangerous outfit so um I actually think
0: they'll be alright I think
1: Gats is a pretty good coach and his track record shown that
0: one of the interesting things, though, when it comes to Warren Gatlin, is there were big rumours over the weekend that he could be the person that came in with England, um, if if and it is a big if Eddie Jones were to be moved away. We know there's this review panel that this week, having a look at, at what's next for England. Will Eddie Jones stay in charge to the World Cup? It's look. There's a lot of pressure on him, of course, after the autumn that they just had. Gatlin seemed to be a leading contender for that role alongside Leicester Tigers boss Steve Borthwick, Scott Robertson of the Crusaders, uh, Rob Baxter, Exeter Chiefs as well, Conor O'Shea, Director of Performance Rugby at the RFU as well, so already in-house. And there could be a caretaker as well, Alex. I mean, what do we think might be on the horizon for England? I'm pretty sure you've started all this stuff in the media. You said at the start of the autumn that
2: Eddie was going to go and you you just keep pushing it. You want to be proved right and you've just been using your media outlets at talk sport here, the newspapers, and you've just spread this like wildfire and now suddenly it's getting closer and closer. So well done to you in that respect.
0: Um, no, no, no. But I think... Um, I, listen, I, I derive no joy or pleasure from what is what is happening here. And, and and if Eddie Jones stays as boss, I want England to do as well as possible with him in charge. So whatever this review panel does, whatever power it has, we need a plan going forward. We need one that works as well. That's it. That's all I'm concerned about.
2: I think the review panel is taking as much heat as Eddie. Um, people don't really know who's on it. Um, you know, people say they're not qualified. Like I, I didn't think Eddie was going and then things came out about his uh, people he's used um, and uh, staying stuff in the bottom of the Times articles and things like that. And it's got quite messy. Um, Reality is, I still think England will be better off keeping Eddie in charge to the World Cup. Um, I think it's proven over time. It very rarely works to change a coach this late on and get results. I know it has done, but the science behind it <clears throat> part of me is usually you need time as a coach with the players to bed in um, and tactically and technically Eddie is still a very good coach that doesn't change so uh, unless you can get someone like uh, Scott Robinson or a Steve Borthwick I think would be the only names for me um, and, and would they want to do that right now I don't know uh, an interim coach doesn't really work for me so I think for me it's either Eddie or someone like Scott Robinson or Borthwick coming in
0: straight away. Rachel, what do you think is coming this week?
3: I think it's really interesting because I think kind of long-term relationship-wise, you know, this panel, which is a bit secret squirrel and it's a bit, why is it not being transparent? Like, I think whatever happens moving forward, if Eddie stays in post, like that relationship and that trust is going to be really challenging between the RFU and Eddie, considering they're not revealing who's on this panel and, and the way it's gone about. Um, but for me, I think Steve Warwick. you know, I think English, we need to keep an Englishman in there. Um, or or actually start to look at our English coaches and, and have them talk about the English DNA of what we're all about. And maybe we've got a little bit lost in all of that. And actually, we've seen what Wolfwick can do in one season last year, bottom of the table, then turns it around, win the, the premiership. You know, he's got the trust and he's got buy-in and, you know, the players really resonate with him. for He's been there, done that. Um, so I think he would be my first choice involvement, but it's it's up in the air, isn't it? Media saying he's gone, and then other people saying he's not, and it's yeah, it's such a mess. And you know, look, the players are right in the middle of this. You know, as Alex said, Eddie is a very good coach, and he's got a lot of supporters within the players, and you know, so it's not a great time. I think as
2: well, Eddie would love nothing more than to prove everyone wrong. You know, he's a prickly character; he likes a fight, um, and everyone writing him off at this stage. Is is sort of perfect to him. He'll just galvanise the England team. He'll bring everyone together and go, you know, us against the world, a bit like South Africa have used so many times and so many teams always used. But it will really make him want to prove it even more, Um, and it makes it pretty dangerous, uh, as we've seen. And he has had good results in England, not for a while, I know, but he can certainly deliver when it comes to the World Cup, and um, we'll see what happens. As we said, we just don't know what's going to happen to review, and it it could go. Either way, without being on the fence, we
0: just don't know. Adam, a couple of interesting things to pick up there from what the guys have said. Firstly, you know, speaking to you as a Scotsman, you know, in your national team, is that key? You know, having that national spirit and having a coach from the same nation, how important do you think it is? And also, hypothetically, of course, we've seen reports that Phil de Glanville and Sarima Geekan are on this, on this panel. We don't know what the reality is at this point in time. But if you were having this process in Scottish rugby, would you want that transparency as a player? Would you want to know who's choosing the destiny of your coach?
1: Um, Yeah, I think it's a difficult one as a player. Obviously, kind of hearing the chatter and and things like that, you don't know whether um, or kind of what to believe. Um, I think from my point of view, if if my coach wasn't Scottish and I was playing for Scotland, as long as he wasn't English, I wouldn't mind too much. (laughs) (laughs) Might have a little hidden agenda there, but um, yeah, no, I think it's tough, tough for the players um, to kind of hear all this background noise and not kind of have clarity over the situation. So um, again, we'll have to see what kind of happens over the next next few days, next weeks. Look, players want to win,
2: ultimately. They're, you know, they whether it's uh, an Australian, a Kiwi, an English coach. I don't think it makes too much difference to me. Um, people want to go out there and win games, and if the coach is very good and he speaks sense and, you know, everyone gets behind him, then that's all that matters. Uh, And as English fans, they just want to see a team that wins. I I think at this stage, you wouldn't care if they kicked the G off the Gilbert, if it just kicked everything, you know, but as long as they won games, the
0: public would get behind it. Rach, why was it important to you? Is it more from a, a not necessarily a nationalistic standpoint, but maybe saying we have a good pool of English coaches now and we should
3: be using them? Yeah, I think it's more of that angle. And I I don't think that, players or spectators kind of look and judge because they're not English. But I think if we think about the management of the players and and how, you know, somebody like Borthwick who has been there, done that, been that player, been in these environments, I think that you can draw a lot on your previous experiences to really manage players, manage the environment and I think he's got plenty to offer which we've kind of seen domestically we obviously saw what he did when he worked with Eddie Jones uh, back in Japan as well and I think we do have a good pedigree of coaches and, and why aren't we optimising and using them to the best of you know our nation's ability to
0: We will see what this panel, what the RFU come up with a little bit later on this week, it's going to be very intriguing to see what Eddie Jones's future is but let's move on, let's talk about this at weekends action European Championships kicking off last year's campaign ended up with La Rochelle crowned as the European winners and you can follow the ongoing series A Season with Stade Rochelle on the Rugby Joe YouTube so make sure you check that out big thing coming South African teams participating for the first time John Schmidt uh, suggesting some standout clubs from their ranks what impact are we expecting they will have on the competition interesting one to hear from you Adam on this
1: uh, yeah, I mean, obviously speaking, to, I still speak to a lot of the Glasgow and Edinburgh boys and um, certainly playing away in South Africa, they've struggled with results and I think you've seen that across the competitions, um, you know, it's it's, it's a tough, it's tough travel to kind of get over there and then you're playing in different um, environments, different crowds, so yeah, I think I think it'll be interesting to see how they go. I think they might go well, especially when, when teams have to travel away. Um, I know Quinn's are off there this this weekend, I believe, or, or next week, is it? So, um, yeah, no, I think they'll do well, to be honest.
2: Yeah, I think South Africans um, are built for Northern Hemisphere rugby. You know, you see the South African teams come over and how their physical nature works so well over here. And both uh, what well, the Bulls and the Stormers got to the final of the URC. They've shown their pedigree, so it's going to be tough. Um, not to mention, as Adam said, the travel of going to South Africa is obviously a lot harder than just popping over to France or Ireland or something like that. So it'd be really intriguing to see how it goes. Rugby mad nation, they love um, love it, love it. They've got about 12 channels dedicated to rugby each day. So. Uh, it'd be really interesting to see how they
0: go and, um, you know, it'd be a massive test for the European clubs as well. Some big fixtures coming, Rachel uh, this weekend. We've got Irish against Montpellier, uh, the Sharks against Harlequins, Gloucester taking on Bordeaux-Begla, La Rochelle versus Northampton, Castro versus Exeter, Sale versus Ulster, Sarries up against Edinburgh, Osprey's against Leicester as well. That's just the pick of the fixtures, including the English clubs. Hard to pick a winner for from England for this competition this year do you look beyond Saracens to anyone else? Gloucester <laughs> Gloucester okay Adam tell <laughs> us why you think you've got the potential then?
1: I think we're just going well I and mean, we had a good win at the weekend we've built momentum going in uh, to Europe and then we've got Bordeaux at home having a home first game in Europe's uh, always good so yeah we're looking forward to it and hopefully Edinburgh do over Sarries maybe
0: <laughs> I mean, it's one of those. You've got two current players on. I'm trying to straddle the fence here, but it's tough. I don't want to pick a camp, Alex. Oh, you
2: just sit on the fence as always. Don't worry about that. Um, look, I mean, Gloucester, as you said, you've got a home game against Bordeaux. it would be interesting to see how they go, see big French teams, see how they've played in Europe a lot now, Bordeaux, and they want to make that next step. Uh, so we'll see. Um... We've got Edinburgh, who had a great year last year, uh, building on that. Uh, they've got an influx of a couple of foreign players who are really important for them, and Buffelli and others. And then, you know, the Scottish players like Ritchie and Graham, Darcy Graham, that is, who, who are so dangerous. So it'd be, it'd be a very tough test. But every time you play in Europe, it's always hard, you know, and you've got to win your home games. That's that's the priority, and try and sneak things on in the away matches. But. European competition is is brutal. Everyone's good. There's no easy games and if if you have a day where you're just not quite there, then you
0: can be in a very difficult tricky situation in Europe and and an uphill battle. Obviously conducting the orchestra Adam, do you is it a different game plan in these European games? Do you feel like you have to bring Something different we know in terms of the physicality, the mental approach. You know, people say it's getting right up there in terms of in terms of test rugby, but just in terms of the way that you calculate your game plan, is it always very specific or very different when it comes to facing sides from from other nations?
1: It's, it's quite kind of refreshing and exciting playing teams from different leagues. Obviously, um, it's cool to get the French teams in there as well, and I've always enjoyed those away trips to France. Um, you know, especially if you get a good win over there, they're, they're cool places to go and play. But I think, as Goody mentioned there, European games always have that little bit of edge to them and you can certainly feel that um, around the ground. Um, you know, it's completely different, usually much bigger crowds. And, yeah, it's just, it's just quite cool and, and exciting to play in as a player. So, um, yeah, I think all the boys are looking forward to
2: it. I, I think as well, you mentioned it there, the way games, especially in France, are... They are the best. You can go and win in some of the most hostile places in France where everyone's banging for your blood and they, and they literally want a punch up. Um, and you go and win there, you know, it's like a, I don't know, sometimes a nine o'clock kickoff or something like that. And you win. You can't get a plane home and you're in some. Dodgy sort of random French club, Um, but you just have such a such a good feeling in those away games when you win. You come home and uh, yeah, it does bring a club together. You can have a bad few results in in the week leading up to it, the weeks leading up to it, and you get that away win and it can galvanise a group.
0: I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure you both are as well. We'll be talking about a big weekend in Europe uh, when we speak to you next week, of course. Well, as we mentioned a little bit earlier on, we're absolutely delighted that Adam Hastings is with us. Um, Adam, so much for us to discuss in terms of club and country, going very well in both areas. Of course, you're just off the back, hopefully back very soon of that injury. You've gone viral twice already this season, that 50-metre drop goal uh, against London Irish. Also the end of that tackle. From 123 kilograms of Fijian. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which one don't you want to see again? Uh, probably la- the
1: latter, to be honest. But I've probably seen that more, actually, since getting back to Gloucester.
0: Look, it's look, it's not your job. Your job's to score those incredible match-winning drop goals. And you're doing that very nicely at the moment. Um, yeah, disappointment, I guess, in terms of that injury and leaving the the camp early. What did you make, though, of how Scotland did over the autumn campaign, as we move into the Six Nations and the World Cup on the horizon in 2023 as well?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, I think it was a mixed bag, uh, to be honest, and it's similar to what we're having at Gloucester at the moment, you know, for patches of the games we're playing brilliantly and then, um, you know, for maybe 20-minute spells, well, the wheels will come off a little bit. So I think that was kind of the same with Scotland. I think that that New Zealand game was a prime example. They they kind of had it almost uh, with 20 to go and then, the New Zealand boys brought on a few lads off the bench and up the tempo a little bit and and we kind of crumbled there and and just let them back in Um, and then you know in the last game against Argentina I think that was a a full strength Scotland team and you've seen everything working you know it was one of those days where everything was just seeming to come off and um, I think they went down to Twelve men at one point, which which made it even better. But yeah, a mixed bag, I think. Um,
0: You know, potentially two more wins um, out of those games. So yeah, do you have high hopes? You know, when you think about the World Cup, I know it seems a long time away, but that you guys can put together some form to do something special when we get to that tournament.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, you've got. um, You said it there. I think Six Nations is a good marker, especially against. Um, you know a team like Ireland who are flying at the moment that'll be good to kind of um gauge where we're at and it'll be interesting to see all the other nations you know obviously we've spoken about Wales with with Gatlin coming in it'll be interesting to see how they go and then you know if uh, if Eddie does end up leaving England then who they get in and what they change about wow. that squad so yeah it'll be an interesting six nations and I think um obviously
0: off the back of that you want you want to be informed going into a World Cup. So, uh, listen, we we want to talk about the fly-half position at Scotland. There is, of course, big competition there, such an important position. Do you think the competition with Finn Russell brings out uh, the better of you? Is it a big motivating factor?
1: I mean, not necessarily with with him, but kind of everyone in that in that jersey, you know, obviously. Um, my mate Blair's just uh, kind of had a, the past year he's been playing 10. He obviously went on summer tour and he played really well and, I thought he played very well in the autumn uh, in that Australia game. So, yeah, I think competition's healthy for a squad. You want boys pushing each other in training and in and around the team and things like that. So, um, it's only going to make you know me better and and other people pushing for that jersey better as well. Adam, do you think this is the
2: the strongest Scottish squad that you've you've been part of in terms of you mentioned there the the depth at fly half? Do you think across the board there's more strength and depth than sort of any time than you've been in the squad? And that's and that's. Um you know, a massive positive going into the Six Nations and into a World Cup.
1: Yeah, definitely. I can kinda of remember when I kind of had my first few games for Scotland. Um, you know, I think I was around twenty. Um, and, you know, there wasn't as much depth or nowhere near as much depth now uh, then as there is now. I mean, if you look at the back line, especially in the back three, we've got so many boys we can chuck in there and, and go so well and You know, centre now we've got a lot of competition, scrum half as well. And then in the forwards, we've got kind of a wealth of back row to pick from. Um, So, yeah, I think, as you mentioned there, depth is brilliant and it's it's obviously key in a World Cup year as well. Even if you look at some of the boys who were left out of the the Autumn squad, you know, we've got Rory Hutchison at Saints um, who's carving up as well. So, boys like him that are um, still getting left out, and then they're still. Playing, you know, unbelievably well. Hutch was playing against us the other night, and um, yeah, it's, it's obviously good having depth going into a World Cup.
2: And with the the Six Nations coming up, you know, what would be a good Six Nations for Scotland? Obviously, winning it would be great. But what what would be a success? Do you think? Uh, what would Gregor be happy with?
1: I mean, yeah, obviously winning. You said it there is is what every team wants to do. I think um, win all your home games is a big one. Um, that's always kind of a target, um, You know, it's brilliant winning at, at Murrayfield especially, the fans are brilliant there and then I think that's where we've struggled in the past is, is getting away wins, um, so yeah I think that'll be something we're, we're looking to do
0: as well. So, You got the chance though to beat England for the third straight year, how important would that be? That, that's kind of a big marker for Scottish rugby, isn't it, if you can do it three years in a row and you're showing that consistency?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one. I almost feel like Scotland's become a bit of their bogey team. Um, you know, in the in the recent years, obviously, we had that famous drawdown at Twickenham um, and it seems to just kind of kick-started this, this little run we've got going. And, you know, obviously, playing England's an added edge, um, especially for the fans. They absolutely love them. So, um, yeah, obviously, we're looking to win that one.
0: I've got to say, finally, it's a lovely trim. Love the haircut. Looking good, my friend. At Hastings Hair... Twitter following a few years ago was up there. We were getting regular updates and they just stopped out of the blue. I was disappointed. Twitter has never been the same, despite what Elon Musk might tell you. Um, did you ever discover who it was? I don't know if it was Elon himself, but did you ever discover who was behind it? I've no idea. It's probably
1: Ryan Wilson. That's who I'm putting my money on. He's he's pretty hectic on social media but i think when i came down here and they shaved it all off that was the death of that page
2: do you think it's a it's a scottish thing obviously hoggy's taking a bit of stick for his his teeth tan and hair and you know you you know friends of the show have been texting in about your teeth and hair as (laughs) well you know so i don't know is it is it a scottish thing do you have to come out and put an instagram page or or something up to keep everyone off your back
1: you've told me who that person was at Texas and he's a compulsive liar so we'll just get that out there but uh, no it's, it might be an Exeter thing actually Sladey and, and Nosey love a little um, time don't they seems to be seems to be that but um, no not a Scottish thing maybe in Glasgow actually Glasgow's known as the city of sunbeds fun fact for you there so
2: yeah I'm not sure what happened to Finn in that one yeah
1: <laughs> he's sterling me he's sterling me yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: uh adam appreciate you joining us on house of rugby uh it's been a pleasure mate thank you so much
1: of nice luck this weekend mate yeah,
0: you too now alex i've got to say there's been a lot of feedback from your picks for the hardest lads across the nick six nations that came from all of our audience on rugby joe um, and here are some of your suggestions i like this uh this is from can keith lee islands omani that man would pick a fight in a morgue i love that tweet um He's hard as nails, and this one from Milo Wales' Ross Moriarty was born for it. I like it, to the point with both of those two. Tough, tough guys?
2: Yeah, yeah, I think um, the criteria was hardest, not who would get in the fight the quickest. You know, Imani <laughs> would get in a fight... Um, but, You're saying he's not
0: hard, just send a message to him if you want, stare down the camera
2: uh, I'm just saying he's not as hard as he used to be, he's getting old, it happens to the best of us, you know, fighters aren't in their prime when they're in their 30s so. um, Yeah, not for me, Ross Moriarty's a good shout, um, he he likes to flirt about a bit, he's young he's feeling invincible still, you get older you get vulnerabilities. so he, he'd be a good pick for Wales, definitely
0: I've got to say, a couple came in from outside the Six Nations. Maybe I agree with this one the most. Stephen says, Henry Tuolangi is the hardest I've ever seen. I, I tend to agree with him on that one. Uh, Marius, uh, who may be South African, I don't know, but he's gone for a South African. Eben Estabeth, uh, which I think is a very good shout as well. And he showed us over the autumn that a tough player he is too. Yeah, I mean,
2: uh, Edsabeth is obviously extremely physical. You wouldn't argue against that. And I would not even put my name to saying that on, on live um, <laughs> podcast. Henry Tulangi was as hard and as nasty and as dangerous as ever as anyone I've ever seen in the rugby field. I think there's a clip of him playing for Perpignan uh, against Ben Foden and it's sickening. Um uh-huh. I certainly would have been kicking the ball if I was Ben, but yeah, he he was fearsome, say the least.
0: Now, every week we rifle through your questions for ask Alex. And this one comes from Johnny in Geneva. Hey guys, uh, it's Johnny here from Geneva. Look, my dad loves classic jerseys and I want to get him one for, for Christmas. Which one would you recommend? And just on top of that, just out of interest, what do you think is the most iconic player rugby strip combo? All the best. Thanks. Bye.
2: Wow. That is a brilliant question. A very tough one. Um, as soon as you said iconic jersey, I thought of Toulouse. Circa, what was it? About 98, maybe 97. Um, that beautiful black and red. Um, I always saw Toulouse as sort of the Real Madrid of rugby for a long period, so that was pretty special. That Their kits have always been iconic. Um, as for a combo, I think you can't... I, European rugby, for me, is is that... It's something so special about it, especially in those early days. And I think um, Anthony Foley in the Munster shirt really rings a bell for me. And then maybe if you were going bit differently the Barbarians shirt has that kind of history and you could pick a number of players for me probably Gareth Edwards um, and that try that, that's pretty special the,
0: the, the black and white of the Barbarians is, is something magical about that what about you mate? For some reason George Gregan in the 2003 shirt uh, that Australia wore that had like the green uh, stars on it and just a lovely design I don't know why it just stood out to me maybe felt like it was such a big rivalry at the, the World Cup as well but Gregan you know, an iconic player for Australia. The jersey that immediately came to my mind is one that I actually owned. I don't know if you can see this. I had to get it up. Stade Francais, pink hibiscus flowers, two silver strips. Yeah, like, you know those jackets now that you wear on the bike that like reflect everything. They, had, they, were, they were ahead of their time. They had two strips down either side. It is the most rascal kit ever. Unfortunately, I'm too fat to wear it now, but I still own it. Pink to make the boys wink.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, Vincent Cock was in, uh, Is it am saying now, he was in pink at the weekend, um, looked looked dashing in it, which I've never thought would be possible. Um, I thought you'd, you know, with what's going on, you'd choose an old WOS kit, you know, from back in the day, but you you really are a, a plastic WOS fan, so we'll move <laughs> on from that. We
0: could make a special kits podcast, to be honest, and talk about this all day. If there's anything you do want to ask us, kits or otherwise... Keep the questions coming in. That was a good one to be perfectly honest. So Johnny in Geneva, thank you very much. Yeah, great question that. I think next week, if I can make a request,
2: um, a Christmas theme of some kind for the the Ask Alex. Uh, Something
0: differently around Christmas. Okay, it's time now on House of Rugby for Pass It On. Rachel, go ahead.
3: Yes, we give a shout out every week to the clubs and people at the heart of grassroots rugby community. And this week we head to Croydon for a shout out from Ian.
2: Hey, I want to shout out all the volunteers and coaches at Croydon RFC. It's a great community club with competitive rugby to watch as well. Get yourself down to a game if you live
0: locally. Thanks.
3: To pass it on, get in touch with your voice note. As always, our WhatsApp number is in the podcast descriptions.
0: I like that. A bit of south we need the rugby players ah. down south. They're meant to be harder in <laughs> south, aren't they, Rach?
3: Definitely. I mean, I broke my nose and then played the week later. That counts as hard, oh, not it? Oh, come on.
0: <laughs> That's standard. That's absolutely standard. You're still moaning about that, are you? Jesus. Definitely. Uh.
3: Got to play on that a little bit.
0: <laughs> okay, big thanks to Rachel, Alex and Adam Hastings, who we spoke to a little bit earlier on. We'll be back next week, rounding off the year with our House of Rugby Christmas party. It's going to be a special one. We'll see you then.